What I'd like to talk about tonight is general halachas of Kashrus and Eretz Yisrael, which is different to Chutzlaretz. Because even though, of course, we all know most things are the same, but uh, there's some halachas which apply specifically to Eretz Yisrael, and uh, therefore, for people who aren't used to the din of Eretz Yisrael, it's something we need to learn about. So the first topic, which is already looking ahead till a few weeks' time after Schmitter, and that is that whereas in Chutzler it's one can go to any store and buy fresh fruits and vegetables, there's no problem with that. One doesn't need a heksha, one doesn't need to check anything else. It's, uh, we don't have cashless problems in Chutzler with fruit and vegetables. But in Eretz Yisrael, we do have an issue with fruit and vegetables, and that's because in Eretz Yisrael there's a din, there's a mitzvah of taking trimmers and maestros, which means any fruit or vegetable or even spice which grows in Eretz Yisrael, then before we let it eat it, there's a halacha that we have to separate trimmer, which is what was originally meant for the kanim, we have to separate maestros, which is Hashem originally meant for the levim, we have to separate either Maeser Shaini or Maeser Ani, depending on the year, which is also something we have to deal with before we're allowed to eat it. The halacha is that if one hasn't separated the various the various categories of Truma Maeser, which a person has to separate, then the food's also to eat. It's also to eat just like anything else, which is treif. It's also also and we make one's Kalim treif, we make the... The, the, it could be the stove or the oven top, whatever ones. Just like it would be the halakha if one eat, was dealing with non-kosher food. So we consider tavel, uh, which means produce, which has not trimmer mices separated from it, to be in the same category as non-kosher food. And therefore, just to buy fruits and vegetables from any random store without some kind of a heksha, we have the same problem. The same problem because not all the fruits and vegetables in Israel have had trimmers and masses taken from them, and uh, therefore we need we need that something we need to check for ourselves that we're not being running into these problems. Now the one option a person has is to take trimmer masses for themselves. If a person makes sure to take his own trimmer masses, then there's no issue because they can buy fruit and vegetables and uh, deal with the problem themselves, separate the trimmers and masses themselves. And then they don't have to worry anymore. Some people, it's difficult to remember to take Trimus and Masus, or they don't know the halachas how to do it. And therefore, the other option is to look for a good heksha that tells you that they've already taken Trimus and Masus for you. Uh, just before we go into this topic of how to take Trimus and Masus, what's important to remember is that the din of Trimus and Masus doesn't just apply to fresh fruit, it applies to anything which grows in Israel. And therefore, if a person is buying dried fruit, it also applies. If it's fruit which grew here in Eretz Yisrael, when it's no shalom, the masses have been taken. If we're talking about fruit juice, if we're talking about grape juice, if we're talking about olive oil, anything which is produced from fruits or vegetables which grew in Eretz Yisrael, then they will have, we'll have to make sure that trumas and masses have been taken. Now, once again, a good hechsha will that's something they'll take into account. But uh, so that therefore, either have the option of making sure anything we buy which is uh, from either fruit or vegetable origin here in Eretz Yisrael has a good heksha, or we have to do it ourselves. It's, uh, I'm pointing this out just because it's, in Chutzlar it's something we're not used to doing, because we don't need to. Fruit and vegetables which grow in Chutzlar, there's no restrictions. 
and therefore one can buy without looking for a hechsha having to do anything else. And here in Israel it's a bit more complicated. So if one wants to take trimmers and matches themselves, I'm going to run quickly through the main halachas how to do that. Again, if a person finds it complicated, they always have the option of buying some of the hechsha because then it's already been done for them. So the halacha of trimmer is that one has to take a small amount of the produce and give it to a kohen. Today we don't give trimmer to a kohen because we don't know who a kohen is. We, even though a lot of people, they have a family um, sorry that they're kohen in, but it definitely isn't provable. And therefore we don't, we don't have a guaranteed kohen. And for somebody who's not a kohen to eat trimmer, it's a big error also. And therefore we don't want to marshal anybody and give them trimmer which they're not allowed to eat. And therefore today we're going to separate the trimmer because that's what allows us to eat the food. But we're not going to give it to a coin because we don't have any guaranteed coin. So how does it separate the trimmer? So again, the story says a trimmer is a small quantity of the food we're dealing with. How much is a small quantity? Rabbana gave a share of 1 in 50 or, 50, or 2%. 1 in 50 or 2% of the food we're dealing with. This doesn't make a difference how big the quantity of fruit we began with. So it could be a person has one apple, it could be a person has a whole basket of apples. If that's the amount of fruit that he's dealing with right now, then that's the quantity he's taking trimmers from Maestro's off. What's important to realize is that the law of trimmer only applies to what we call minamukaf, which means the fruit which he has in front of him now. Similarly, it can't be on the trees. I can't go to my field and so I'm taking trimmer from all the fruits on the trees. It's, uh, once it's, the, the trimmer isn't practical yet. It's only once I pick the fruit and now it's ready to eat, now I can take trimmer on it. And therefore, if a person would, let's say, go and buy a bag full of apples from the store, a store which he doesn't know if they've taken trimmer from Maestro's, so the first thing I have to do is count the amount of apples. And then I have to work out, let's say, if I have 10 apples in the bag, so then 150th means a fifth of one of those 10 apples. I cut off the amount of the, the, amount of the apple which I'm going to use for my trimmers and masters, and I separate and I say, this is trim. We'll put it on the side, we'll come back to it in a moment. The next halacha is that after we take trimmer, the next thing we have to take is maisa. Maisa means that what the Torah said we have to give to the Levine, and maisters is a bigger share, it's one-tenth. One-tenth. In other words, rather than one-fiftieth, it's one-tenth. Now, we, are, we could use whatever we began with, and therefore, again, if we're talking about 10 apples, so then one of those 10 apples is going to be maisa. The halacha of maisa is, is different to trimmer, because just like by trimmer, we can't eat until we've taken the apple of trimmer and separated it, so then it comes to maisa. We're not allowed to eat until we've separated maisa, except here also, we don't know exactly who a levi is. Even though the people of Musarid at the levim, but uh, it's not something which is provable. And therefore, we aren't mechuyev to give the maisa to a levi. But the big difference is between trimmer and maisa is that trimmer, it's also for anybody to eat. And therefore, the trimmer we have to separate and put on the side. The maisa, even though we meant to give it to Levim, it's not Kodesh. And therefore, the person can eat it themselves. So they have to separate it. Now they separate. This is the maisa one. And now what we're going to do, and this is where it's a little bit complicated, we, we, we could, after that, really put it back in the bag and eat it ourselves. But there's one step we have to do first. And that is there's one more restriction in the Torah. And that is what's called trimmer's maisa. Trimmer's maisa means when the levy, the time of the best of will get his maisa, he would have to give a tenth of that to the coin. So if that's the time of the best of we would take our one apple out of the ten, which is maisa, we would knock on the door of our neighbor who is a levy, 
say, this is my I'm giving you the apple. Thank you very much. The Levi would have to take a tenth of his apple, cut it off, and give that piece of the apple to the coin. That now, again, what goes to the coin is Kedusha. And that's still the case now. And therefore, if a person is going to identify this is the Mesa apple, so he's not giving it to Levi, but he has to do the next step himself. And therefore, he'll have to cut off a tenth, one tenth of a Mesa apple. And so what I'm cutting off now is Trimmer of my Mesa. We call Trimmer's Mesa. And that you can put with the piece of apple he cut off before. Now there's two pieces on the side. The original piece he cut off for Trimmer. The piece he took now as, my, as Trimmer of the Mesa. And those two he can just wrap up and throw them away. And he needs to do that because he's not allowed to eat them. Once he decided they're Trimmer, it's also to eat. But then he's not a kosher, not a coin, and also he's not tar, he's not allowed to eat Trimmer. And therefore we don't want to leave it lying around because it causes mistakes. People might eat it by mistake. So once you've identified this is the Trimmer, this is the Mesa, this is the Trimmer of the Mesa, we take those two things, the Trimmer and the Trimmer of the Mesa, wrap them up, and we dispose of them. Now, I just gave an example by an apple, the same would apply to anything. If we're talking about, I bought a big, like a big bunch of grapes, same thing. I'll have to take off one, uh, one or two of the grapes at the beginning to be used for trimmer. I would then decide this is about a tenth of the grapes and take off one-tenth of that, which means a very small amount of like one or two grapes also. Trimmer's mesa, wrap them up, throw them away, and now that, that takes the problem of trimmer out of what's left. Oh, you're asking good. We'll come to bracha in a moment. Okay, so that, that's the din of Trumah and Mesa. There's one more thing to be aware of, and that is what we call Mesa Shani. Mesa Shani means, really, we meant to take the fruit and eat it in Yerushalayim. Now, even though we are in Yerushalayim, it doesn't really help us, because the point of eating Mesa Shani, it has to be eaten in Yerushalayim when there's a basic English, which that, unfortunately we don't have today. And therefore, what we do with Mesa Shani is we have to separate it, and but what are we going to do with it? So the Torah says that Masashani, we're allowed to be paida. Masashani, we're allowed to redeem it. What's, how much is Masashani worth? Well, it depends. In the time of the Besamekdash, Masashani was worth money because people would eat it in Yerushalayim. That's the value of the, how much it would be sold for in Yerushalayim. So if I'm a farmer and I've uh, separated basketfuls of fruit, which are Masashani, I'd be able to sell it in Yerushalayim. People would buy it. So if I was going to, to work on what's its value, it has a value. But today, Master Shani has no value because no one's allowed to eat it. There's no Master Megdash and everyone's tummy and no one's, no, one's not, no one's allowed to eat Master Shani. So that's the case. If a Torah tells me you have to redeem your Master Shani, well, okay, I'll, I'll redeem it for whatever it's worth, but that's not very much. And therefore, what we tell people to do is to take the smallest coin, a shekel, or even half a shekel, whatever it is, and say, this is all my Master Shani, I'm redeeming it on this coin. And that way, it's, def- it's not, not less than the Masashani is worth, probably more. And if that's the case, I'm allowed to eat the Masashani myself. And that's all. It's, with those few steps, that's what it takes to, uh, to separate from his masters. So having that... And then you could eat it. And then whatever's left, I can eat. So let's go through it again. We'll give an example, one or two more examples, just to make the process clear. Oh, good question. We'll get in a moment. So let's just go through our three stages again, just to make this part of the process clear. And then we'll answer the side questions as they are shown. Again, I have fruits or vegetables which don't have a hefsha, I don't have fruits or matches that have been taken from them. Um, if that's the case, I do it in three, three easy steps. The first one is, I take one of the, fruit, one of the things out, take off a piece for trimmer, kudayla. doesn't make a difference if it's, we gave example of apples or grapes, it can be vegetables too, they also need trimmer. And whatever it's going to be, I cut off a piece, which is be'erich, 2% of the whole amount, and I say this is trimmer, kudayla, I put it on the side. I then identify 
something which I'm going to call my Mesa Rishon, something from Mesa. So again, if it's 1 out of 10, or 2 out of 20, whatever it is, 10%, this is my Mesa Rishon. Now I just call it, this is my Rishon, and then I take off a tenth of that. That's step two, a tenth of a tenth. So I take off a tenth of the of the Rishon, I cut it to put it on the side, that's Trimus Mesa. Now, the rest of the Mesa can go back into the into the container again. The rest of the Mesa I can eat myself. I take the two pieces which are separated. The trim of the trimmest mesa, I wrap them up. I throw them away. Whatever's come back into the bowl, I can eat. Now, again, I take another one, which is one-tenth, as, trim, as we call mesa shani. Mesa shani. I say, this is mesa shani. I'm redeeming it on my coin. Now that I've redeemed it, I can put it back in the bowl and eat that too. So the net amount I'm actually losing, so to speak, by taking trimmest mesa, I'm, I'm separating and not eating myself, is the original 2% which was for trimmer and then a tenth of a tenth which is like 1% which is trimmer's mesa. That I'm, I'm disposing of, the rest I'm eating myself. I'm just left with the mesa shiny coin. What do I do with that? So the halacha is that there's nothing I can do with it because it has uh, because it has kudusha. So one has two options. The the more the quicker option is to, to throw, away, throw away the coin too. It has uh, something I can do with it now that it has Master Shani value on it. So like the mission says, if I can't use it, I should dispose of the coin. Most people don't want to keep disposing of coins, and therefore they have something called the Protochamara, which means the various organizations that I can then just transfer the Kedusha of my coin onto their coin, which I'm allowed to do as well. And then I say, I want to take from Master Shani on the coin, now I know I'm part of this organization which is, deals with keeping value of Master Shani it's called the Protochamura, and so I'm just transferring the Kedusha onto the coin that they have, and then it's okay, I can use my, the, the Kedusha has gone to whoever's dealing with it, they'll take care of it for me, and I'm, I've done what I needed to do. Okay, so that's, that's the process of Trimus and Maestris. Does anything will apply to grape juice, wine, olive oil, fruit juice even, if the fruit will come from Eresistral? No. Nuts, anything which grows in Eresistral, again, it's the same three-step process. The first step, trauma. The second one is a double one, which means taking mesa and then a tenth of the mesa, mesa shani, which I'm poida, and then I've dealt with the problem myself. So then I could go, if, if, as far as that's concerned, I would be able to buy fruit and vegetables which are raw, without a heksha, and take care of the issues on my own. The only thing to be, be remember is that one can't do this on Shabbos. One can't take trimmers and mesa on Shabbos, and therefore if I'm going to be buying fruit, vegetables, nuts, dried fruits, whatever it's going to be, for Shabbos, I'm going to have to rem- remember to make, make sure to take care of all of this before end. Now, that's as far as the separation process goes. That's, like we said, it's not so complicated. The next question is going to be, does one make a bracha on that? Does one make a bracha on that? Because it's a mitzvah. Separating from the masters is a mitzvah, and there is a bracha to make. Check the shana, but it's a mitzvah, so there is a bracha to make. But, in order to make the bracha, here's where it gets a little bit complicated. Because in order to make the bracha, one has to make sure that no one's taken trumas or maestros already. And therefore, it's not, so here we get into a bit of a, a, like a bit confusing. When do we have to assume that fruit for sure hasn't, hasn't had trumas or maestros taken? And when do we not know? Maybe somebody did, even though they, want to, even though they hasn't got a good heksha. And uh, therefore, if one would buy fruit straight from the farm, or from someone sitting on the side of the street, in cases like that, we can assume that no one's had trimmest mashes, no one's dealt with it, and one can make a bracha. Or, and this is very practical, a person has fruit trees in their own backyard, 
or a person has a, sees a tree in the park, whatever it is, and he wants to take fruit home. So then things like that, you know one's taken from Mr. Mashis here, or a person's growing vegetables, in his, also in his own garden, and then these things eat from Mr. Mashis. And in all those cases, since the person's sure no one's taken from Mr. Mashis yet, a person will be able to take with the bracha. But when it comes to a store, even if it doesn't have a good hersha, when always is, uh, is uh, now it's a question, we have a sophic if Trumus and Maestas have been taken. Because there are organizations which take Trumus and Maestas in Eris Yisrael, but the question is exactly how much they're taking on. Uh, as, as in, is everything being taken care of? Are there things which are they're not, not necessarily aware of and somehow gets around it? And the reason for that is like this. The system in Eris Yisrael, like in most countries, is the farmers don't deliver directly to the stores. The farmers direct into the central places where they, like a marketplace where they store, or they, they bring in all the produce, and then they, they repackage it and send it to different stores. Now, in these central, so to speak, like places where they gather the produce and they send it out again, there's meant to be a system of taking trimmers from nurseries. But, if anyone has ever gone to such a place, you'll see it's extremely difficult. Because it isn't like everything arrives and is now waiting patiently for you to take a mistress and then they're going to the next stage. It's a place where the truck's coming in and out the whole time and, and probably being unloaded and offloaded and moved around. And therefore, whoever's on top of the system, it's very hard to know what has he taken on and what hasn't he taken on. One truck comes with a whole truckload of potatoes. They're all lined up. And then another truckload comes and also brings potatoes. And in the meantime, a different truck is taking away the first one. So you have to make sure the whole time what have I taken on? What haven't I taken on? Where, where, what's, what's, you know, what's come in? What's gone out? It's a very complicated system. Which is why the, the good Heksharim, they would take Shemus and Mashus in the store. Not in like, one of these central packaging zones. So that's why uh, any store, like example Mayan here, which has about that section on the fruit and vegetables, what happens is every morning when they get their delivery, everything waits outside until the Meshkiyah will come and take Shemus and Mashus and he'll let them take it into the store. And then we don't have to worry because nothing's moving around. It's waiting for him. It's waiting for him to take care of his and they, want, they aren't allowed to unpack on the shelves until he's cleared it. That's a much easier, more efficient way to do it. Whereas if you're talking about, like I said, a, a work zone where there's too much happening at once, it's much harder to know you've done everything. So, that, so that's why in a case where it's not a good haksha, and one's not sure, one's not sure if Trumus and Mason is taken properly or not, one can't make a bracha. A social take, one can't make a bracha. Okay, so that's the that's what we want to talk about Trumps and Maestros. Once again, the the fruit or vegetables or nuts which one knows for sure, Trumps and Maestros haven't been taken, makes the bracha and goes through these three steps. In the case where one's not sure. A person's not sure just because he doesn't have a good hashtag to rely on. So then again one should take just to be safe. But in a case like that, one doesn't make the bracha because there is a possibility it's been taken care of. That's the first thing I want to talk about, which is negated to the differences of halacha in Eretz Israel as opposed to Muslims. And that is being concerned with primary matters. The second issue, which is uh, even though it's halacha that everyone keeps in Kutla Eretz too, but it's more strict in Eretz Israel. And that's because in Eretz Israel, it's maker I doing a problem, and Kutla Eretz is on you, next next week, and enacting to us, there is a problem because of that. And that is a dinner taking halacha. Everyone takes Khalid and Khastarat also, but Khalid and Israel is more common. And the difference is that when it comes to Israel, if a person forgets to take Khalid, then the food is also to eat. The food is also to eat. Um, and whereas in Khuslarit, if a person forgot to take Khalid, 
Let's say they bake chalut for Shabbos. And they only realized after Shabbos came, we forgot to take chalut from their food. So I thought that one could leave a piece to take chalut afterwards. And there's this roll that doesn't look like that. Because here you know that it's like trimmer. And until it's taking chalut, the food is awesome. And if that's the case, if a person doesn't take chalut, then he wouldn't be able to use it. He wouldn't be able to eat it until he's taking chalut. And like just like trimmer's masters, one can't take chalut on Shabbos. And therefore, there's this roll, one has to be much more careful to make sure one's taking chalut on front. Because otherwise, like we said, when we have a big problem eating the food. The other thing to be careful of, and there is more than chutzlaretz, the challah that one takes here is also, it's like trimming. And therefore the challah that one takes here, one has to be careful with. Because it's now, it's now, like, it's now like a food which is also for someone who's not a point to eat. And why is this very practical? Because a lot of people, after they take challah, they want to burn the challah. And they burn the challah on their regular oven tray, or in, pan, or in a pan or something like that. It's a big problem. Because just like if a person would cook a non-kosher food on the tray, the tray would become treif. It absorbs the flavor of the food. Once a person separates the challah and the roll, the challah is treif. It's also for a non-kosher to eat. And if that's the case, if a person is going to use their oven tray to burn the challah on, or a fork to prick it and put it in, they're going to have to cache their tray or their fork. Because uh, the challah and the roll, once it's been taken, it's treif. And therefore, if a person wants to burn challah, there's one of two options. Either they're going to wrap it very well and make sure that it's not going to touch, like it's not going to touch any of the utensils, or they're going to put it directly over the flame. They'll put on the gas directly on the flame, and then that's the case, it will burn itself, it won't touch any cadmium. And we be careful not to prick it with the fork to move it off and see if it's properly done, because khala uh, is like, a, like cooking something trick. If a person doesn't want to do that, it's okay, they don't have to. They can wrap it up and throw it away as well. Double wrap in a way that's not see through. And throw it away, one doesn't have to burn it if it's going to trap up the kitchen. The other point, which is very important, and that is a lot of people, when they take khala, they leave the ladder took on the side to deal with it later. It's not advisable. Because just like we said, if a person is going to cut the piece of apple off trim and leave it on the side, somebody's going to eat it. And then that's a problem. If people leave a khala dough on the side, what generally happens, they get land, somehow it lands up back in the bowl. Someone else has the dough for that, I think it's like the for that, or they'll make a roll and add it to all the other ones, whatever it is. Khala which is left on its own generally has a way of getting lost. And if that's the case, then where did it go? Remember, this is awesome. This is awesome. And if it went back into the bowl with all the other dough, then it's going to make everything awesome. Because the amount that one needs to move out for khala is one in a hundred. So normally there isn't a hundred times the amount on top of khala. And if that's the case, if the khala fell back into the mixing bowl or was braided into the khala with everything else, Everything's going to be awesome. What we do in such a case, um, which is something we've done many times on Friday afternoon, is we convene a basin and we do a Taurus and Dorim on the Chala. So we undo the taking of the Chala, and then the person can take again. But it's something a person has to be aware of, because otherwise, if they don't do that, then everything has become awesome because there's Chala mixed into it. And therefore, the other issue of Chala, again, the, advi- the ad- advised way to deal with it is as soon as the person separates Chala, deal with the Chala. And that way, that's not going to be something which could be a mikshal if, uh, if, if it gets lost or gets somehow mixed into the, all the other dough. Okay, that's, uh, and then once again, when it comes to hechsherim on baked goods in Eretz Israel, this is something they're much more careful about. That, that uh, in a factory or in a production line, they've taken khalu properly. Because here in Eretz Israel, if they didn't do it properly, it would make everything awesome. Okay, so that's the, that's the two. The first two things we wanted to speak about, and that is the dinim, which we call mitzvah, clear spot, or it's. Mitzvah is applied to things which grow in Eretz Yisrael, and 
either only if Rani Eretz Yisrael, like we spoke about Trumus and Maesrus, or more severe in Eretz Yisrael, like when he mentioned, or he mentioned about Chana. The halach is that if one eats as directly from the tree or doesn't take from the masters, it's only one collects it in a, right. in a basket or in a bag so or something like that. So what they brought home when it's from the masters. So, but we both took separately from the masters. That's okay. Even though it was like all in the same bag. And when you're in the same basket, it's a different basket. I don't know, not like they separated it and took it back. It's yours, so you take it from your basket. That's okay. Right. So why do that's the halacha. The halacha is uh, until we have what's called that it's uh, it's finished, it's, pro- it's like the process of harvesting if it doesn't take trumas yet. And if a person eats directly off the tree, but not too many, one at a time. If a person is going to like put a halacha in his hands, he has the same problem. Now he's made a bunch in his hands. And therefore, if a person is eating uh, directly from the tree, doesn't take trumas and masters, the regular person is collected a certain amount, then it's mechayim trumas and masters. Okay, so that's uh, regarding those two things. The last thing I want to talk about is a more general problem. And that is, people come to Israel and they see you know, nearly every nearly every single fast food or restaurant or product in Israel has big letters kosher on it. And a lot of people think, wonderful, everything's kosher, you can, can eat it all. And it's not so simple because even though in Chutzlar it's, it's like you're happy to find something which is kosher, and you think we come here to repeat anything because everything says kosher on it. And not everything which has kosher on it is something we can rely on. Now let me explain why. Let me explain why. Because sometimes people ask the question and they say, look, somebody who's, there is somebody who's, you know, who's fixing their name to it. He's saying it's kosher. Why can't I trust him? Why can't I trust him? So if he says it's kosher, why can't I rely on that? So it's a good question. So I want to explain three things, three principles on how the system of Kashrus certification works, and then we can understand why it's not so simple that everything which necessarily says no kosher is kosher. The first one is that even though it's true, there's a principle in halacha, that when it comes to dinim like this, in other words, what's mostly to eat or also to eat, we can trust somebody else. If you get an invitation from Shabbos and the hostess tells you, don't worry, all the food is kosher, I can trust it. I don't, I don't eat witnesses in it, I don't need to check up in everything in someone's kitchen. I'm allowed to trust somebody. And therefore, if they tell me it's kosher, the halakh is that aid effort never be sorry. I can trust somebody who says it's kosher. So why can't I trust anybody who says what they're saying is kosher? So this is, this is why I have to understand how the system of kosher works. The first one is, I can trust somebody what they say, but I need to know what they say. I need to know what they say. And therefore, unless I've spoken to the person, who says it's kosher, and I ask him, what do you mean when you say it's kosher? So then I don't know what he meant to say. And why is this important? This is important because there's some, there's some systems of kashas which work, but the principle that when we say something is kosher, it means it's kosher according to everybody. We've taken everyone's opinion into account, we've checked every possible problem, and therefore we're telling you it's kosher for everyone. There's some kashas organizations which say, no, we hold up certain opinions, we're telling you this is what we check, we don't do anything else, or we do what we're taking care of is kosher. And there's some which will tell you first that even though we know there's no argument about this, and uh, we, we've taken the more lenient opinion, and according to that, it's kosher. There's an opinion that argues 100%. We don't know with that opinion. And therefore, until somebody, you know what somebody means when they say it's kosher, then I can't trust it yet, because what did you mean? Did you mean that it's kosher for everybody? Did you mean that it's kosher for 
because you took care of all kinds of problems that they're going to be, or did you mean I only took care of one issue or only took care of uh, one opinion? And just to give you a very obvious example, you'll go to most places and you'll see fruits and vegetables, it says they're kosher. Now, it could be you have to check these vegetables for insects. So you could ask the question, why do I have to check for insects? Is a big sign saying kosher? And the answer is, because everyone's going to tell you, we never said it's kosher that there are insects. What we meant when we said it's kosher is that we took torosomosis. And therefore, you still have to check for insects. We never took care of that. We're just taking care of the fact that we took torosomosis, and then from now on, we've done our job. People say, but it says kosher. We'll tell you what we mean. What we mean kosher is, we took care of this. Did we mean that it's kosher and uh, you can go and eat it now? Absolutely not. You have to check it. We can do that. And that's why it's very misleading. Because you have to know, when, even if it says kosher on something, even if it says kosher on something, it doesn't necessarily mean, that means I'm good to go out and eat it straight away. What are they saying kosher about? And I'm going to talk about something which is a mikshal, a mistake, which is as various kosher organizations have caused a lot of people. And it's important to know this. In Eretz Israel, there are certain cashless organizations which sell raw livers. You can buy them in, a, in, a, in, those, in those places where they have a fresh chicken or fresh meat counter. You can buy raw liver. And we'll have a big cashless on it. So you'll think, great, it's kosher. I can go and eat it. Cook it and eat it. That's a big, big mistake. One's not allowed to eat raw liver. The halacha is liver has to be roasted over an open fire properly. That all the blood drains before one eats it. Otherwise, it's also completely... Now, in most places in Chutzaris, they don't let people sell raw liver because they know that it's going to cause problems. And therefore, if you want to sell liver, it's only already uh, been roasted, already been grilled over an open fire, and therefore it's ready to eat. Here, yeah, you'll get raw liver with a big sign saying kosher. And the reason for that is, the reason for that is because over here, what they're saying is kosher is that the chicken or the animal is shafted properly so that the animal's kosher, and then go ahead, roast it yourself. Now, and this one knows how to roast livers halakhically, it's not so simple, and it's not kind of great to use, and how, what kind of fire to make. I don't necessarily recommend roasting raw livers oneself, but then don't buy them, because they're for sure not allowed to be eaten in the state they are now. What the kashrus meant kosher means the shechita was good. That's all. You definitely can't eat them right now. They're full of lead. That's at the, if we cook them in one's pans, we'll have to kasher the pan as well. Okay, so that's uh, just an example of when one has to know what, what a kashrus means when they say kosher. Not often, not always does it mean ready to eat. Kosher means what we wanted to take care of, we took care of, that we'll certify, more than that not. The second, the second point, which is I mentioned, and that is besides for knowing what they mean, what they're saying about it is kosher, there's a second issue also. And that is which opinion are they going with? Because in Eretz Yisrael, there are lots of hachorim, and they're catering for lots of different markets. And therefore, there are certain hechsharim, for example, which are, catering, which are run by a Sephardi bestin and are catering for a Sephardi market. And they'll tell you clearly, we're not giving a hechsha for Ashkenazim. Ashkenazim have different minhagim, and we're not taking care of those. We're looking, for, we're looking at what the Sephardi need to be careful about. That's all. We'll get the reverse too. We'll get Ashkenazi hechsharim. We'll tell you clearly, we're taking care of the Ashkenazi chomras. We're, we're, we're not even not looking for what the Sephardi are worried about. And therefore, we're saying it's kosher. We're saying for people who follow our customs. You'll get in both ways. And therefore, again, just because it's a hechsha doesn't necessarily mean that it's meant for everybody to eat. But you have to know who the kashras was catering for and whose opinions they were taking into consideration. That's the second issue. The third issue. And that is, being as in Eretz Yisrael, there is 
a much since most of the the so to speak the market which they're catering for when they're preparing food are Jews. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of people work with the idea, and that is we want to make things the minimum kosher standard, so that most people will be eating kosher. In other words, if you're going to be too strict about what you're going to say is kosher, it means then a lot of people won't won't want to won't be able to afford or won't want to pay the extra for it, and therefore they won't eat kosher at all. And therefore there are a lot of organizations which think that it's better to have a lower standard, which we can or will appeal to a bigger part of the population rather than having a higher standard, which a lot of people won't eat. Because we're trying to save as many people as possible from eating something which is really not good. And therefore, there are hirshayim there are like that too. And if you'll speak to them clearly, they'll say to you, if you're somebody who's careful about Torah mitzvahs, don't eat this. We're looking for all the kudas we can. We're looking for all the leniencies we can, so that at least it's a minimal standard kashrus. Better that there are known from people around the country who eat minimal kashrus than real trade. But this is minimal kashrus. We've taken every single leniency we can. If you're somebody who's more careful about your own Torah mitzvahs, don't touch it. And therefore, we have to know, like I said, what they're actually saying. Because they have to know what they're saying that they're being looking at, what they're looking at for. Number two, whose opinions are they going with? Who's, who's paskaling? The, in other words, what, what, what shit are they, are, they, are they deciding on? And number three, who they, who, who's their target market? Are, we, are there a cashless which says we're going to try and make it as good as possible? Or a cashless which has a, the, 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 the concept that we're going to try and make it as cheap as possible? And if that's the case, we're going to run as many agencies as we can. And therefore, Akshayim Naka, one shouldn't touch. Now, that's uh, the starting point. The difference between, like we said, different, what's, what one sees, kashras or kasha or kasha lemahadrin even, none of that's too, mean, not, not too impressive unless we know who's behind it, who's certifying it, and what do they say. That's only the tip of the iceberg when you come to kashras. And that is, on the concept the, as what the people who are giving the hirsha what they're thinking. There's another, there's another very big part of it. And that is what's actually happening. What's actually happening? Because uh, as everybody who works in kashras knows, that it's one thing for people to dictate the policy of the kashras, the ones that are bottom at the top, who the ones who are signing the, you know, the, 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 their names on the, the stamp, whatever it's going to be. But what's actually happening on the factory floor or in the register and kitchen. And that is, who's there and how often is he there and how good is the system that he's checking up and everything. And this is very, very important. Because if everybody, the whole way down the system, were all from Jews trying to do the right thing, it would be much, much easier. But if you're dealing a lot of the stages along the production line of food, you're dealing with people who either don't care about kashras or people not even Jewish. So that means nothing to them. So then you have to be on top of it the whole time because otherwise, if they think they can get away with the cheaper ingredient, they can get away with doing something which they're not meant to, but it makes it easier for them, they will. Why shouldn't they? And therefore, the system has to be a good enough system that they're checking constantly to make sure that things are doing are running right. And that's why every so often we find about these scandals of a restaurant which is selling trafe or something which is doing something wrong. A lot of people are relying on it and ate trafe, unfortunately. It's not because the system, not because the people at the top made mistakes, it's because the system wasn't running well. And therefore, someone down the line wasn't doing their job of checking properly that everything is that everything is uh, is done the way it's meant to be done. And it's not so simple to do this. It's not so simple to do this because most places can't afford a mashkiach 24 hours a day. 
And if that's the case, one has to know that when the mashkirah is not there, the workers, whoever is there, isn't doing things which the mashkirah wouldn't want them to do. And uh, you know, we have a limited time for the shir, so I don't want to waste too much of your time telling you stories about things which have happened here in Yerushalayim, which uh, with, with various uh, bakeries, restaurants, factories, wherever it's going to be, when whoever it was, because they needed more ingredients which they couldn't get at the last minute, or because uh, they thought Mashkirah is not here, so they can hurry things along whenever it's going to be. And then the system breaks down, because then w- w- people are, on, are not keeping the rules, and who knows about it, and who's on top of it. And therefore, when, the second point of knowing a Kashrus isn't just the what the Kashrus would like to achieve. It's checking how efficient they are. How efficient they are, which means how often are they sending people to check, and how good is the way they check? How well do they check? What are they looking to check? And how, how, how possible is it that the things could work, go wrong in the system? And uh, how are they going to fix that up? And that's a very big part of how much we rely on the cash also. And then again, we, 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 it's something when we try to check up every so often and see, like, are the, is the cash on top of their own places? And therefore, if you, I've done it myself, I've called up a lot of places which have a good action. And I say, I was in your restaurant, I noticed this problem. Or somebody was eating there, he told me this was How do they deal with it? Can they check? Can they, can, can they confirm? Do they deal with the problems? How do they deal with the problems? And uh, from these kind of things, one can see how well the cashless runs, and how good an operation it is that they know how to run their system, which is a very important thing. Just as an example, um, we've been talking a few years back, a student of mine, he went to the coast on a Thursday night, um, late, he wanted to come back at, I think it was 2 in the morning and the ambassador said, stop the cab so the cab said I'll take you, but I have to just make a delivery along the way okay, he doesn't mind so the cab drove from the coastal around to East Jerusalem it stopped at the Arab bakery there, which works all night loaded up the back of the cab with boxes of fitters and drove to a kosher uh, a kosher store, which was still open in the middle of the night what happened to your hand of pizzas? Where is he going to get kosher pizzas at 2 o'clock in the morning? He's got a lot of customers. So what does he do? He knows that the Arab bakery in East Jerusalem works through the night. So you send the camp yeah, to pick up pizzas and bring it to your bakery. The mashkiyah is fast asleep. Who knows about that? They have a problem of pasakum, and the coffee tray. And next morning's business is like normal. Now, again, I'm not faulting the cashers, but I'm just showing you where things can go wrong in the system. Because like a person runs out of ingredients or whatever the case might be, like a case like this. So he's going to know about it. Okay. So he told me the story. So I called up the cashers and I told him the story. And now, what are you going to do? So again, and this is also a sign of how good a cashers is. Do they deal with problems? How quickly they deal with problems? What do they do about it? And uh, that, that's a sign also of how much you can trust the cashers because how much their system works well. Another story. I don't want to talk about two stories because we don't take too much time with stories. There's a pizza store on Paridan. I think it's a Hersha, because they did a good job with a Badat Hersha. One of the pizza stores around Paridan with a Badat Hersha. Um, one of my students calls me on a Friday afternoon. He was in the pizza store and he asked the Jewish guy behind the counter he wanted an order of, of French fries. If there's no problem, he takes that, like, that, that reshet, that kind of tray that they have in the French room, takes that, falls with the French, and puts it back in, and says, he went off to deal with the next customer. So he waits for 5, 10, 15 minutes, nothing's happening. 
So eventually he asks the Arab who's cleaning the floor, yeah, just, what happened to my french fries? Can you go check? So Arab goes and picks it up and he sees the still raw. Doesn't understand why. And he sees that uh, the plug came out of the wall. So the Arab comes up and plugs it back in the wall and it puts the french fries. Now, he tells him the story. He says, Bishlakov, 100%. The, 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 the non-Jew cooked the food. And French has on something a person can eat raw. So besides the fact that the French has a treif, the tray is treif too. Now again, who's going to catch things like that? He's not meant to be doing that. There is a Jewish person there who's meant to be doing with the food. He was cleaning the floor. But what happened was the store was busy. He wanted to help a customer. He, put, he plugged it back in again. In a case like that, no one would have known even. He happened to tell me, and this is what happened. I said, well, one second, which store was that? That, that fry is tray. Now, Sunday morning, first day, I called him at that. And I told him the story. So they, they said to me, give us 15 minutes, the mashkinah of the store will call And he did. He told me exactly what happened. Can you tell me which fryer it was? So he said, I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm in the store now. I'm emptying the oil, and I want the kasha to fry. Now, that's where kasha is meant to run. In other words, there could be mistakes, and you can't stop that always. Things like that aren't, you know, aren't always possible to prevent happening, but someone's on top of it. And when a mistake happens, they need to fix it. That's, that's what gives us a confidence that you can trust people, that they take the job seriously and they deal with the problem. But a cashless where there's a problem, and you can call the cashless, yes, we'll get back to you, and two weeks later, they still haven't got back to you, then you have a problem with how the system's running. And if that's the case, then you don't know what you can trust and what you can't trust, because they aren't on top of what they're doing. They're not they're taking care of the, the issues which come up. Okay, so that's why when it comes to cashless, like we said, besides for the what the cashless claims their standard is, what's very important to know is how well the system runs. How well the system runs and how much they're on top of what's, what they're actually doing. Okay, so that, that, with that background, therefore, I would... Now, one last thing I have to point out, and that is that there are fake cashless in there as which means there are stores which have these very fancy, elaborate-looking signs on the window, door or on the wall with the cashless of this word basin, and these basins don't exist. The whole thing's a fabrication. There's no such basin. It doesn't exist. And uh, therefore, and if, if it's not a cashless you recognize as being a good cashless, don't get taken in by fancy signs with uh, calligraphy and whatever it is, kashram, hydrogen, and hydrogen, by some unknown basin, because some of these basins don't exist. This is a problem with Kutzler, it's also. But because in Israel, everyone's more into cashless, um, it's more of a problem here. Just as an example, I'm going to tell you this because it's uh, very careful of that. There are a number of stores in Yishraim which have this huge framed Tudat uh, Echsher from the basin of God of Hasidei Rapshitz. The basin of God of Hasidei Rapshitz. It doesn't exist. There's no such basin. It's in this, the whole thing's a forgery. Uh, now, what can you do about it in this country? If they were put up a Rabbanut which doesn't write a Rabbanut and sue them, but who's going to sue them? Who's going to take care They're making up a fictional basin and putting it on their wall. What do you want to do about it? Legally, there's not much you can do. But you have to warn people. And that is not every Hachshir you see exists. And therefore, you rely only on Hachshirim we know about and Hachshirim which we know do a good job. And therefore, after the introduction, I'm, I'm, there are lots of Hachshirim in Israel. I don't want to use this as a platform to talk against any Hachshir. But so therefore, I'm just going to mention the Aksharim that I do know about, and we've checked about, and as far as I know, are doing a good job. And like I said before, that doesn't mean mistakes can't happen, but at least it's a system which tries to fix its mistakes, and the system which tries to do a good job, those I can vouch for. The other Aksharim, I don't either, I don't know, in which case I can't say anything, 
or I've had problems with, in which case I can't recommend. I'm not saying anyone's no good, I'm saying the ones I do know are good. And we have five Echshayim in Israel, which are considered good Echshayim, and are, are reliable Echshayim. When I mean reliable, I mean across the board. That means for meat, for milk, for Pesach, whatever it's going to be. It's a Echshayim which takes its job seriously, and are trying to get the highest standard they can. The first one I would say is Rav Rubin's Echshayim. Um, Rav Rubin's Echshayim, they try to take every single opinion into consideration. You're not going to find that many products with their hefsha because of that. But everything they do give a hefsha is 100%. 100% and they're very, very careful. I've been with Ruben's son to check things a number of times. They do a very good job. That's the first hefsha. The second hefsha I would say is Rav Landau's hefsha from the um, Again, not many products because of this, but the products that they do do, they do a very good job on. Uh, then I would say the Badat share of El Haredis here in Yishalayim. The Badat shares Israel, uh, which you can also put here, which is mainly in Bnei Brak, but you can get their things here too. And lastly, Kehillis, which is a Heksha, it's, it's really an amalgamation of a number of Hasidish Hachshayim. Those Hachshayim I know, and we seem, seem to be very careful with what they do. And uh, I'm not saying, again, the other Hachshayim are no good. I'm saying I don't know enough to, to, to give a tell you that I have personal information that they are good. But uh, the rule is like this. And that is, when everyone can get a good hefsha, obviously that's the best option. Um, the second point is, one has to know what the hefsha is saying, like I said before. And therefore, it could be that one has to read what it says. Because it could say that you know, you're giving a hefsha for this, but you still need to do whatever. And then that's the case. So it to follow the things. A very well-known case of this is that matters. Matters. Obviously, everyone's going to buy matters with a heksha. Some, A lot of the matters they write on the heksha, we haven't taken khara. And the reason is because they do with matters one by one. They come with oven and they package them one by one. They haven't stopped, put them all together to take khara. No one makes a big enough dough of a matzah to take khara from because you can't work with such a big dough. They work very small doughs at a time. No, it does more than half a kilo. So they never have in the dough stage a problem of khara. But the problem is when they put it in the box. Now you have a lot in one box. If that's the case, it could be it's chayef khala later. So they'll tell you, we didn't take the khala, you have to take the khala. But most people don't know that. They see kashat and hadrin with all the khumras, matzah for Pesach, great, it's ready to put on the Seder table. You have to read. Are they saying to khala or not? I'm just giving this as an example. Some places do, some places don't. And if they do, then it's a story, because that means they have to gather the matzahs together, put them in a big box, and then take khala, and then repackage them. It's an extra step in the process. And so I'm just saying as an example that, of course, you look for a good hefsha. It's also Kedai, in cases like that, to see what the hefsha is saying. And that's what they're saying they take care of. In a case when a person's stuck and, and doesn't have, is in a place near Israel, is in a store, wherever it might be, some distant moshav, and he can't find things with good hefsha in him. So what's the next option? What's the next best option? So the, the next best option is if one can speak to the moshkech. And I'm going to give you three or four questions to ask the Mashkiach because these are the questions which most often come up in Halakha. And unless the Mashkiach knows his job well, these are the, 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 the primary problems, the case we find the most problems. Number one is, who's cooking the food? Who's cooking the food? Because you have a problem with Bishlaka. And that's Israel, a big problem. And that is a lot of restaurants, a lot of factories, a lot of places which prepare food are employing Arabs to, to work in the kitchens because it's much cheaper later. And now, if the Arab's job is just to clean the dishes, it's one thing. If the Arab's job is just to peel the potatoes, it's one thing. But very often, they get them involved in the easier cooking jobs as well. 
And now one has to be very careful because we're talking about non-Jews cooking. And if that's the case, one has to make sure are there, are there clear rules in place that they're never the ones to put the food on the, on the, on the fire. Are there clear rules in place that they're never the ones to switch things on. Because otherwise, we have Bishlach is a big problem. Not only that, the Arpois can hold that even a nun from Jew who doesn't keep Shabbos is also Bishlach. And if that's the case, we have a much, much bigger problem because the Rabbanot isn't careful about that. They say as long as the work is Jewish, they don't care if you keep Shabbos or not. And I point a lot of poison, but it doesn't help us. And therefore, the first thing to find out is who's working with the food. Is there shadow of Bishlach? My next problem, a lot of recipes need wine. A lot of recipes need wine. Once again, if you're talking about non-Jews or non-Shemish Shabbos Jews touching wine, it can also make a big problem. Are they using wine in the, the kitchens? And if they are, how do they, how do they make sure that non-Jews don't touch it? That's the second big issue when it comes to when it comes to checking what uh, when it comes to checking an uh, in, in establishment. And the last one is a halakha called basash in the which means if there's meat which someone wasn't watching or wasn't sealed, and there wasn't then a non-Jew, we, we have a fashash, maybe he switched it to something else. And therefore, and always in commercial kitchens or in, or in caterers or places like that. Again, if they're non-Jews working there, that's always another question we want to know. And that is, what's the shmir on the meat? How are they making sure that no one can get hold of it, can switch it, can change it, whatever it's going to be? And then they have to tell us what the system is, how do they do that? And uh, more or less, if those primary areas have been taken care of, then we see the mashkiach knows his job, we can ask him what we can and can't eat. Um, that's as the video of it. Obviously, it's a place which has a good hechsha, the hechsha done the job for us, and then as best as we're able to, we know we're eating something which is properly checked and we can rely on it. The last thing I want to mention, and that is in the case where there isn't a good hechsha, what are the foods which aren't problematic? In other words, we don't have to be choshish that something, something went wrong with it. So I'm talking only Paris Israel. Chutzaris is different. But basically, in Paris Israel, the, the guideline is we need things which have as few ingredients as possible. And there was a production line which I didn't use for other things. Because if they're using the production line for lots of different uh, products, we don't know what the previous product was. We don't know what before, what came afterwards. And therefore, looking for things which don't have lots of ingredients, we, don't, we can't identify. And it's a production which is only used for one thing. is normally our best uh, choice at uh, understanding that something is good. Now, we have to remember what we said before. And therefore, fruit and vegetables, and as Israel, are always just taking account. You have to take from masters. Things which are baked without a good hersha, or is it taken account? You have to take khan. But once the person's done that, so then those are normally the safest, uh, the safest options to look for, which is nothing else. In other words, if a person goes to a regular bakery to buy bread in Eretz Yisrael, um, so the truth is most of the big companies making bread have a good hersha, because uh, it's worth it for them. So they're, they're supplying everybody. But even a smaller bakery which doesn't, plain bread, not artisan bread, and not health bread, regular bread, is less likely to be problematic, and just want to stay calm. stay calm, um, and also find out that they weren't going doing the baking, like we said before. But uh, besides for that, uh, things like like the canned fruits or canned vegetables from Beit Yerushalayim Israel are usually okay. And then again, that helps us to make sure that they're and masters. There's always a chashash mistakes that happen in kashash. just like mistakes that happen in everybody's kitchen. That's always the case. But uh, our achrayas is to, as much as we can be careful, we can dive into the that we don't make any mistakes.